You know, if you haven't checked out What Chaos yet, you oughta, because we've had all your favorite players on the show. I'm talking Seth Jones, Lena Solmar, Connor Bedard, whoever it may be. We're live every day on YouTube at noon Eastern, but also available on all podcast platforms, including the one you're listening to right now. We got guests, and yeah, we're also doing a bit of chit-chat, goofing around, laughing at what makes us laugh in hockey. So regardless of how deep you are into your hockey fandom, come listen to What Chaos. We'll talk about your favorite team, we'll talk about your least favorite team, and everybody in between, and we're having a ton of fun doing it every single day, Monday through Thursday. It's What Chaos, presented by All City Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's it doing? Designing my new 2021 Nissan Kicks Online in the Kicks Color Studio. I give each a special name. This one's electric blue, orange, red, white. I call it the gumball machine. You think it's me? I feel like you're more of a red velvet guy. Limitless possibilities. With over 100 million available color combinations and Bose Personal Plus system in the boldly new 2021 Nissan Kicks. Bose is the registered trademark of the Bose Corporation. Color combinations include interior and exterior colors. Customization is an available feature subject to availability at participating Nissan dealer. See dealer for details. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch Soap Company, and by Fry the Coop. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Hey, welcome into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. It's just Jay Zawoski with you here tonight. Hawks beat the Red Wings 3-2 in overtime on the back of two Dominic Kubelik goals, but one of the uglier games of the seasons of the season for the Blackhawks so far. I will get to all of it uh, momentarily. First, I want to tell you how to get in touch with the podcast, madhousepod at gmail.com or on Twitter, twitter.com slash madhousepod or at madhousepod if you talk like a normal person or on Instagram, madhouse underscore pod and look us up on Facebook, uh, you know, Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast or the URL is facebook.com slash madhousehockeychi. Also check out our merchandise shop, madhousepodmerch.com powered by our friends at Triple threat sports all right so the hawks win three two over the detroit red wings and all's good right hawks win another win for the hawks this was one of the worst games of the year i don't have any problem saying that uh the hawks from pretty much start to finish were at the mercy of the detroit red wings which is um, something I didn't think I would say in this decade. It's something I've said a lot in the past before. Um, but this current version of the Red Wings, I didn't think were capable of doing what they did to the Blackhawks tonight. And look, they just don't have a lot of talent and they're just not going to be able to hang in most nights. Detroit this season, if you didn't know, 
and uh, NHL.com uh, has not updated yet. So they are four, ten, and three, including the overtime loss to the Blackhawks. Four wins, ten losses, three overtime losses. So, as expected, one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League. And um, from really jump street until the end of the game, the Red Wings had the advantage in play. The Hawks sort of evened things out, had a good second period, but you cannot get the... I'm looking at a natural stat trick right now, which is our source for the uh, metrics, the hockey metrics. You're looking at the Corsi percentage, 60.24 to 39.76 for the entire game at 5-on-5 in favor of Detroit. Fenwick, 64.18 in favor of Detroit. High danger uh, scoring chances. Red Wings had 10. The Hawks had 5. I mean, that is... I don't know how you explain a... I don't know how you explain having that sort of a game against a team as bad as Detroit. And look, Detroit, for their lack of talent comes out and plays hard. They do. That's how they play. It's what they do. It's sort of what they have to do or else they're just going to lose every game 5-1, you know, 6 nothing or whatever. And I don't want to take anything away from them because they did play well. They played a good game. But what frustrated me about this one is from start to finish, Detroit was clearly hell-bent on taking away the neutral zone. Okay? They had guys... Um, eliminating the long passes, which is what the Hawks, that's how the, their bread and butter is. The Hawks score often off the rush. It's very rare, and you guys know this, you're Hawks fans, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's very rare you'll see a sustained possession in the offensive zone from the Hawks at even strength. They'll have some good shifts here and there, but sustained possession is tough for them. Usually when the Hawks are scoring, they're doing it off a long stretch pass, off an odd man rush. Uh, or something like that. They're sort of a one-and-done team. James and I talk about that with Patrick Kane all the time because you look at his Corsi numbers at the end of the night, and you're like, wow, he really didn't do well possession-wise. But Kane is the sort of player that sets up for one really great opportunity, and not more often than not, but often it works. That's how the Hawks have played in general this year. They're not a big puck possession team. So Detroit, knowing that, knowing their best chance to win, was to take away the neutral zone, and then you saw when the Hawks would finally dump the puck in, there were four or five Red Wings hustling back to get the puck and start things the other way. And the Hawks seemed unwilling to adapt to what Detroit was doing. You know, that's why you look at the top lines on the team, they weren't very effective in the game. Alex DeBrinkett didn't have a shot on goal. The entire game. This is a guy who was playing as well as anybody in the National Hockey League coming into this one. 23 minutes of ice time, including 427 on the power play. Zero shots. One shot was missed. I mean, that should tell you everything you need to know. And while the, you know, the move might be to be upset with Jeremy Cowden for not adjusting at some point too, the players have to realize what we're doing. Isn't working. And I don't think that, that <laughs> Jeremy Cowden was just saying, keep doing this thing. That's not working. I don't think Mark Crawford was back there, you know, relaying the same message. 
you saw the most success the Hawks had was from Soderberg, Hagel. Those were the guys, Yanmark. Those were the guys that were consistently the most effective in this game. And that's because they have that ability and that willingness to adapt the way they play. Now, later in the game, you saw Dylan Strom, who's really been struggling lately, really struggling badly, get some time together with Kane and Debrinkit, clearly trying to get something going. But I don't know, maybe it was time for Jeremy Cowan to consider putting a little bit more of a grindy kind of guy with, with those guys. And now we're starting to see what the absence of Andrew Shaw does here. What you have in Andrew Shaw is a guy who can play in the top six and will win every race into the corner, win every corner battle, and then come out and score on you. And until Brandon Hagel starts converting on some of these chances he gets, he had an assist tonight, which is great. But until he starts putting the puck in the net, we can't call him the next Andrew Shaw. And I love what Hagel's bringing. I really do. Every time he's out there, something good happens. He's been so impressive. In the third period, Hagel took a shot in the corner that literally launched him into the air against the boards. He comes down, wins the puck, and creates a scoring chance. He's been phenomenal. The only thing he hasn't done is scored, and it's coming. It'll happen. It will definitely happen for him. But I want to start seeing some of these you know, when, when teams are playing the Hawks like they are, you saw Columbus doing it too. Columbus was just locking them down and the Hawks overcame that the other night, but they were locking them, you know, just three defensemen on the puck carrier or three, you know, three defenders on the puck carrier all time, not allowing the Hawks to do anything. They've got to be able to adapt and you need to have your star players, your offensive minded players sort of commit to simplifying it going in, digging that puck out, uh, and and sort of winning those battles. There was a moment in the third period from Patrick Kane I really didn't like, and look, I'm not going to start ragging on Patrick Kane. Ten shot attempts for him in this game. He was effective, but there was a play in the corner where he just decided, you know what, next time. I'll go in that corner next time. So a disappointing game all around. I'm not going to go and pretend like this is some sort of um, big-picture Sudden thing we need to worry about. The Hawks, regardless of how ugly this game was, have strongly outperformed expectations. They're starting a little bit healthier. Lucas Walmark returned to the lineup, played only 11 minutes, uh, didn't notice him very much, but they're working him back in the game shape. Reese Johnson played 721, but Adam Boquist is going to be back soon. So they're starting to get healthy. I just... You know, this game was weird from start to finish. The Red Wings came out and I tweeted, is that Fedorov and Iserman out there again? Because that's what it looked like. They were shot out of a cannon and every period started that way. Or the Red Wings came out just on fire and the Hawks just sort of had to start the engines. I don't know. It seemed like they were not ready to go in any of the three periods. And that's... That's frustrating. I'm not going to say concerning because more often than not, the Hawks are working their asses off. This was one of those games, one of those exception games uh, to me. And I know, you know I saw some people interacting with Mark Lazarus on Twitter calling this game embarrassing and stuff like that. Look, it was a bad game. It was a bad game. There's no doubt about it. But let's not make too much out of it. Let's not glean too much from it. It's one game. All right. As we always do 
on the Madhouse podcast. This is our MO because James and I are positive guys. We're going to take a look at some of the positives of this game. Number one, Malcolm Subban has really come on and proven himself to be a pretty solid backup goalie. I highly prefer Kevin Lincoln into Subban, but Subban was good in this game. Kept the Hawks in it, made a couple really nice saves a few times, lost track of the puck, which to me is my biggest concern with him. I remember that in the first game against Tampa, a puck got behind him and he had no clue where it was. Most times when the goalies lose, like if a puck escapes them and they don't know if they have it, they at least have a feel for where it is. There have been several moments this season where Subban has not known at all where the puck was. In fact, in the third period, Subban made a save, a pad save, that he didn't even, I don't even know if he knew he made the save. He just happened to have his pad in the right place, the puck hit the pad, and then bounced away, and he never turned his head or looked. You know, usually when a goalie makes a pad save, his eyes are going to look at the pad as he makes the save. Subban was looking straight ahead like looking at the play, trying to make the play. So, look, small thing, but I think sometimes he loses track of the puck more than I'm comfortable with. But if you're telling me that your tandem of goalies, Lankinen and Subban, are going to play the whole season like they have so far, I'll take it. That's a huge win. A huge win. If we thought we had one goalie playing that well, we would have taken that, let alone having two. By the way, interesting story, speaking of uh, The Athletic, a feature about Colin Delia published on Monday morning, an interview with him about his frustration, not anger. I don't, I'm, he's not angry, or at least he's not saying he's not, but his frustration with the situation, like, man, I'm, you know, this is going to be my chance, and I just haven't, you know, Delia's only played two games this year. But Lincoln took that job and ran with it. Colin clearly thinks Subban's the backup, and he's been good in his two opportunities lately. So it looks like Delia is kind of the odd man out here. But who knows? You know, at any moment, someone could get sick, someone could get injured, whatever, and Dewey is going to have to be right back in it. But make sure you check that article out as well. Uh, thought a pretty solid game for Calvin DeHaan. Made a couple nice defensive plays that he needed to make, including breaking up uh, that late breakaway with a nice poke check. I think that Nikita Zadorov had another bounce-back game. Last game, he sort of bounced back to that, you know, not really making smart plays, doing some questionable things, and ma- making you sort of uh, tear your hair out watching him play after a nice stretch where he had sort of settled down. Nice to see Zadorov settle back in. Had an assist, was a plus one, 20-46 of ice time for Zadorov. I liked his game uh, tonight. Obviously, Dominic Kubelik with two goals was good as well. Uh, and Bodan had a move late. It, it, was, over, it was overtime, I believe, where uh, Bobby Ryan tried to stick handle through him. And Bodan stayed with it and made the nice play defensively. So um, some positives in this one. But more often than not, this game was ugly. And truth be told, the Hawks probably did not deserve to win this game at all. But hey, you know what? They're probably going to lose some games they deserve to win. And those things sort of even out. Before we wrap things up, uh, we're going to go over the possession numbers. But first, I want to tell you about our friends at Marishka's and Crest Hill. Family owned and operated since 1933 they've been our sponsors since day one on the madhouse chicago hockey podcast and we couldn't be more proud to be associated with a business like marishka's go check them out the poor boy the steaks the chops the seafood lent is right around the corner 
That means that Icelandic cod will be on the menu, and you are going to want to get you some of that because it is absolutely fantastic. They're open for dine-in, so go support local family-owned businesses that have been in business for a long time. All small businesses need your help. Uh, Marishka's, even though they've been doing it since 1933, they're not excluded from needing your help. So go check them out. Facebook.com slash Marishka's or go to Marishka's.com. That's spelled M-E-R-I-C-H-K-A-S. They're closed only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. So looking at this game, the possession numbers, and we always are curious as to how Matthias Janmark did in the game because uh, I think two games ago, the first game against Columbus, his Corsi percentage was seven, <laughs> which is, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. This game led the Blackhawks with a 64.71 percentage, 11 shot attempts for six against with Janmark on the ice. If you're looking at Fenwick, even better, uh, 10 for five against. It's a 66.67 uh, Fenwick for a percentage. Uh, so, like I mentioned early on, he was one of the more noticeable Hawks. You're looking at the leaders in possession on the team. Yanmark and Kurashev were the two Hawks over the 50% mark. Dehan 48-15, Soderberg 47-37, and then Mitchell, Kane, and Suter uh, following up there. At the bottom, Walmark 15-38, but again, so little ice time. Uh, two shot attempts for 11 against with him on the ice. Dylan Strom at 30%. Reese Johnson at 30%. Not good. That's bad. You need to see better numbers from those guys. And uh, Dylan Strom, who started the season off very, very well, has sort of slipped back here. Uh, and he's a streaky guy. We know that from uh, watching him for the last three seasons now that he gets hot and he gets cold. But now that he's gotten paid, he needs to close those gaps, right? He needs to become a more consistent, more dependable player. And uh, I'm confident he will. I like Dylan Strom as a player. I just a little bit of a slump right now, but there were a few scoring opportunities he had in this game, uh, you know, that maybe that missed, you know, just missed a net or just missed going in. Um, I still like Dylan Strom. I just, you know, the points are not coming and he's paid to contribute. So just something to keep an eye on. All right. We're going to wrap things up here on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. So the plan is for our next full length podcast to be recorded on Wednesday night uh, that will be officially released on Thursday morning. But usually if you're up by, you know, if you're up at 1130 or 12, uh, that podcast will become available on Wednesday. So however you want to listen, we appreciate you listening uh, with that. I'm going to wrap things up. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you on Wednesday or Thursday, whatever your preference is on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry the Coop.